I don't want to sermonize you today, but I want to go in and maybe talk about and deal with some culture uh, of this body and this church and, uh, and really help somebody that I feel like a lot of people are dealing with this situation in their own life. Uh, I know even recently I've went through this. And uh, I want to show you the importance of community and family in those situations, why we have a body, why he says forsake not the assembling of yourselves, uh, why this is all so important. And I want to start in Acts chapter 2. Uh, my title today will be Family Culture, uh, which is the culture that we have been working so hard to build here at Life Church. Uh, this is what it's supposed to look like. So Acts chapter 2, uh, I'm going to read off the screen with you guys because I typed out all my scriptures in a version that our computer does not have. So it says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. That's just amazing. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. There's so much to teach right there, but we can't get hung up. In the breaking of bread and in prayers, then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Here's where it gets good. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, the breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily who were being saved. One more place, Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. There's that phrase again. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I love that. They didn't just talk about it. They had power that proved their witness. And great grace was upon all them. And now there... Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one or anyone that had a need. And this, this is so good. I've never noticed this before in Scripture, and I could not wait to get here and share this with you all. And Joseph, I'm assuming that's how you say it, who was also named Barnabas, by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Syria, having land, he sold it and brought the money and laid the apostles' feet so that they could help and invest into everyone that needed it. And I want you to see something right here. This is just phenomenal. This guy's name is actually Joseph. But because of what he did, they decided to start calling him something else. In other words, he did something that was so encouraging for the body around him that they named him son of encouragement. He was so willing to take the time and invest into those around him, his name became son of encouragement. This is what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. Not a bunch of different people that meet every once in a while on Sundays and, 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 and we hear a word and we go home. No, it's people who are willing to encourage one another, who are willing to take the time and the effort to invest into someone else so that they are encouraged on this type of a level. That's what the body of Christ was intended to be. Why has she become so weak? and inadequate in these days because we're not a family because we have this one over there and that one over here and no one's encouraging no one no one's lifting no one up no one's building no one up and instead it's fighting and bickering and differences and it's all these types of things that have hurt the body of Christ the culture of the kingdom is family 
you maybe you hear us use this term a lot, uh, culture of the kingdom. What is the culture of heaven? What is it? It's family. God's original design, his first order of work, his desire was to create the family unit. That's what this thing was about. It was about creating a family. It was about making us one. It was about creating a, a unit, a group, a wholeness out of the family. That was his design. That's why Satan is going after families. That's why he, sin came in and messed up the family unit in the very beginning. It came in and destroyed something and separated the family. That's all sin is doing today. It's coming in and it's messing up the family unit. I would be willing to bet every person sitting in this room, in some form or fashion, your family has been affected, hurt, or, or separated because of sin. In some way, form, or fashion. So sin comes in to destroy the very thing, the very culture that God originated in the beginning, family. That's what he's after. So when Jesus came to reconcile, he was coming to restore family. That was his goal. And I want to prove that to you with a couple of scriptures that Nisha's going to put up for us. Uh, Romans 8 and 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. When Jesus came and died on the cross, he brought a spirit. That spirit was the spirit of adoption to make us family again. Uh, so he brought the spirit, the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Immediately, I'm brought back into the family. Immediately upon salvation, you become a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ, and the family unit is being restored. It's being made right. Galatians 4 and 6. Because you are the sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The goal is family. The desire is family. Uh, Jesus came ultimately to restore the family unit. I started with these scriptures and acts because they give you a look into the culture of the first church. What did the church look like when it was established? What was this thing supposed to be when Jesus came and set this whole thing up? What was it supposed to be like? And they give us a look in acts in these first two, uh, chapter two and chapter four, they give us a glimpse into the culture of the church of Jesus Christ. And it was family. It was people that were so close. It says they didn't even consider their own stuff their own. They considered it everybody's. In other words, my house is your house and my land is your land. And, and that type of a, a mindset and a culture which has been wiped away in the American church. And it's all about what I have and what I possess. That's why people have trouble tithing because we see it as that's mine. And I don't want to give away something that's mine. The first church didn't have a trouble tithing because they thought it was somebody else's anyway. Oh, this is not my money anyway. It's our money. So I'm just going to invest it into the kingdom and everyone around me can be blessed. Everyone around me can be invested in. So it was created and and, and, and the idea wasn't to start a church, quote unquote, the idea was to create a family. It wasn't to create a series of meetings. It wasn't to create a group or a, a club or whatever you want to call it. Jesus' goal was, I'm going to create a family. I'm going to create a family that's so close and so connected and so unified that, 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 that Satan won't be able to do anything with it. I want to look at... Uh, the phrase that we've seen several times was all things in common. And I begin to look this, search this out in the Hebrew and break this down. And it actually breaks down to whole union. So this is not saying that they, were, that they all like the same things and they dislike the same things. If you want to be in a group where everybody likes the same things and everybody doesn't like the same things, then you just need to lock yourself in your room and not talk to anyone. Okay? Because it's just not going to happen. 
Unity is not seen, produced, or felt in an area where everyone thinks exactly the same. That's not the goal. That's not the purpose. That's not what Jesus was after. He said, I don't want you to be little robots that all look exactly the same. He said, I want you to think different. I want you to like different things. And in that, in liking different things, thinking different things, I want to create a whole union. They were in complete union with one another. Uh, my next slide. Because of the union, because of this union, no one lacked anything because all were willing to sacrifice and invest into each other. This was the first church. They said, oh, you're lacking in this area. You're hurting in this area. You're struggling in this area. Well, guess what? If that's where you're hurting, maybe I have that thing and I'm willing to invest that into you. And I don't want to be so shallow to only think about money. If money is as deep as your mind will go in this sermon today, you have a very shallow spirituality. So I want you to think so much deeper than money, although money is one of the options that God will use to invest in people's lives to help them wherever they may need it. But I want you to think so much bigger than that this morning. It said whatever they had, they were willing to consider it someone else's too because that way no one would lack anything. No one would be hurting. No one would be way down here while somebody else was way up here. That wasn't the goal of the church. It wasn't the design. It wasn't the way he wanted it. Jesus wanted a church where everyone was helping everyone. In our, in our young adult uh, community here at this church, on our small group nights, uh, one of the things I've, I keep hearing throughout the week from the last small group we had was it was like no one person was leading anything, but everyone was discipling each other. That's the church in Acts. Everyone was investing into each other. That's the design. That's what Jesus was after. That's what we desire for life church to look like, a family. There has to become a greater awareness of the needs in our own family, our church body, our community that only comes from this type of union, as the Bible calls it, this type of unity. We have to get to the place where we are aware of the situations and the needs that are sitting in here on Sunday mornings. That we're not just here to go through rituals and routines and this is what we do because it's Sunday morning. If you're just coming because it's Sunday morning and this is what you do, then we're not operating in the, the, the culture that the church was created in. Because that culture was what Jesus came to do away with, which was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the religious leaders. They were just going through a ritual that on this day we meet, we do this, you teach, you speak, you do that, we go home, no one cares what happened. Jesus said, that's not what I'm after. I'm not after a opening, offering, four songs, a message, altar call, and everybody goes home and we're fine. He said, no, I'm after a family, that people that come in in the family get their needs met because they're part of the family. No one gets left behind because they're part of the family. I want to show you the difference between religion and Christianity in this concept. Religion is focused on law, tradition, and rituals. Christianity is focused on the needs of the people. It's focused on what's happening in my body, what's happening in this group of people that I can invest into, that I can show love to, that I can help them in that area. One is driven by law and one is driven by love. The need of a brother or sister should always trump the religious rhetoric. I don't care what needs to be done and what tradition says has to be done. It, Jesus didn't even care what the law had said. He comes in and says the need of the person trumps every bit of that. 
I don't care how good it looks. I don't care how good your services look. I don't care how many people you got going to your church. The need of the person in your church trumps all that. It comes before all that. Uh, I'm trying not to jump my head of myself. Let's, let's, let's go ahead. I want to show you this. I want to break down a story, and we're going to see exactly what I'm talking about here in Luke chapter 6. This is a story that I've never, in my five or six years of ministering, I've never taught out of this story. So it was exciting to get to use this. Luke 6 and 1. Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first, he went through the grain fields. And his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answered them and said, have you not read this, what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? Now he went in the house of God, took, ate the showbread, and also gave some to those who were with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. Now it happened on another Sabbath, and I don't want to get to that part yet. But I want you to understand the, the idea that Jesus is creating here. Up until the point where David did this, it was the law, it was the ritual, it was the tradition that no one else in the house could partake of that bread. But there was a need in the moment, and David said, this need trumps your tradition. This need trumps your ritual. And when there's a need in the house, the body should be willing to go to whatever lengths to meet the need of that person that's with them. David said, I not only come in and trumped it to meet my need, I turned around and gave some to the guys that were with me because they were in need also. Jesus is coming in and creating a whole new mindset of the Sabbath, of the synagogue, of, of, of Christianity and the way it works. He's flipping everything upside down and saying there's something that trumps everything you've put on the top of the ladder. And it's the need of those around us. It's the needs of the people that find themselves in this place. Now he goes on even further to, to deal with this situation. Where do we leave off, Nisha? Uh... Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And there was a man there whose hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find accusations against him. Notice that. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to him, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or destroy. And when he had looked all around them, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now I want to look at something in this story. In every, there's three gospels that record this story. And in all of them, it says Jesus was there teaching and the man was there. It does not say he came because Jesus was there. He came because he heard Jesus was healing people. He came because, no, it says he was there and Jesus was there teaching. So it's safe to say that this was the routine of this man. That on the Sabbath, he was going to find himself in there, listening to the teachings, listening to the things. He was a good person. He was there doing what he was supposed to do on those days. So there's no telling how many Sabbaths this man sat under the teachings of God and never had his need met. Week after week after week, he would come and sit, and he would listen, and he would hear, and it was so good, and God is so great, and God is so awesome, and God does so much, but he would still walk out every day with a withered hand. No one, no one, I don't want to say no one noticed, because they knew he was withered. But this is the crazy thing. 
me find myself. So here's a man that had a need in his life, but no community that would invest into that need. Only a religious system to remind him of his need. Religion can only remind you of the need that you have. Coming to church every Sunday just reminds me that I'm a sinner. I have this wrong with me. I have that wrong with me. But when you come into a Christian community, a family unit, then it's supposed to be a place where when you have a need, whatever it may be, this man's need was a a, a withered hand, that whatever need that may be, there's someone there that's willing to invest in your need. That was the design of the church. So every time churches come together and meet on Sunday and people leave without anyone taking time to invest in their needs, you've just become the opposite of the Jesus we claim to serve. Because Jesus found himself in a synagogue and teaching wasn't priority. The worship wasn't priority. The scriptures that were being read were not priority. Priority was there's a man here with a need and it needs to be met before he leaves. There's someone here with a need and it needs to be met before we leave. That was the goal. That was the design that Jesus was creating. What's crazy to me about this is the Pharisees, the religious leaders here, they show up to a service And all they can think about is, how are we going to make accusations about this guy? So they come to a place that's supposed to be community and family, but the only thing in their mind is, what can I find wrong with this situation? We know that they knew about the need because it says they were watching. Is Jesus going to do something about this? Is Jesus going to do something about this? Is he going to fix this? Is he going to heal this? Is he going to talk about this? And they were doing it from a, a, a wrongful mindset. But I feel like a lot of times we even find our churches in, ourselves in churches and we know there's people there with needs and we're constantly saying, is the pastor going to deal with this? Is the pastor going to pray for them? Is the pastor going to invest time in them? Is the pastor going to do this? Is the pastor going to do that? And we, um, we immediately put it off on someone else. When he said, no, I've created a family. And we just read in Acts that that family said that anyone there was willing to invest into someone else to make sure that no one was left out. I'm just going to be honest with you. Me and Pastor Love can't deal with every need that shows up on Sunday. We can't deal with every single need that shows up during the week. We can't take every single phone call. We can't visit every single person. And we can't invest time into every person, especially with a growing church. But God said that's not the way I designed it. This thing is not meant to ride on the back of a pastor. It's meant to be in a family. And family helps one another. Family invests into one another. Too much time has been wasted in churches focusing on the things that we may not like or agree with. Instead of focusing on the brother and sister that has a need in the room. There's probably a lot of things you could find that you don't like about life church. Probably number one today would be the fact that I'm preaching. But the thing is, too much time has been invested in the things that we disagree with and the things that we don't like. When in reality, while we're sitting there disagreeing with something, there's a brother or sister sitting next to us that has a need, that's not worried about what's right and what's wrong and if the right song or the right preacher. They just know they have a need, and this is supposed to be the place that meets the needs. For you that are taking notes, I have this on a slide. That's why I do these things. I love to take notes. 
But this is what happened. Their desire to judge a situation was overriding their ability to invest in it. The problem is a lot of situations, we become too quick to judge the situation, so it immediately takes us out of place to invest in the situation. For instance, oh, really, they're going back to that again? Or when we throw out words like dope head, drug head, these types of things, see, we've immediately put ourselves in a place to judge that situation. When how many times have you invested in that situation? See, I deal with a group on Wednesday nights that uh, most of them, we bust in out of the projects in different areas, and they come from rough backgrounds, rough home lives. So there's been situations where churched people get upset for the lack of church etiquette that we see on Wednesday nights. Well, maybe if we spent less time judging the etiquette and more time investing into the people... And I feel bad for, I feel like I'm getting on to live church when I, y'all are doing some awesome stuff here. Like I, I kept writing this stuff down thinking, God, are you sure I'm supposed to preach this here? But we have to get into the mindset that we be careful that we don't immediately begin to judge when, when, when whatever it may be, whatever the situation may be, because maybe we know their background or we know their story or we know whatever. I don't care what we know. What we do know is there's a need. And the need doesn't be, need to be judged. It needs to be met. That's, that's why I wanted to talk about the culture because I feel like this is becoming the culture of life church. Uh, we've been throwing around the saying a lot lately that, that we, don't, we don't evaluate your past, we celebrate your future. Well, the celebration of that future is, is, is only manifested, is only seen, only brought to life when we invest into the need. So we're not here to judge you for where you're at. We're here to hopefully in some way invest into your need. Some way, somehow, it says some sold their land, some sold their houses, some gave their money, some gave their livestock, some gave whatever was needed in that moment. They were willing to say, if this is a need, I know someone that can help you. I know someone that can, that, that can meet it. But yet this man, like so many people today, found himself in service after service after service with no one willing to invest into his need. No one willing to to make that investment. Now, I want to pull some words out, here, out of here, and I want to deal with the spiritual side of this story and not so much the physicality of what happened. It says that his right hand was withered. First of all, right uh, links back to power, and if you know anything about the Bible, it's no stretch of mind to link the right hand to your spirituality and your faith. Uh, it's, it's just, that's the way it works. I'm not going to get into all that, but I want to look at withered for a second. This is how this whole message birthed out was from this one word. Comes from that Greek word, you can try to say it if you want, uh, which actually comes from a scorching, which brings to a shrinking, and I love this, and this is what it said, which is earthy and dry as opposed to watery. Now, all you Bible scholars know that anytime it talks about earth, it's dealing with flesh, and when it talks about water, it's dealing with the spirit. So when you begin to look at this, what we're actually seeing here is a spiritual representation of something which also means cease to flourish, dwindle, or disappear. So if he's talking about a power and a spirituality that is withered from scorching, which is made smaller, which is dried up, then it would be safe to look at this as there's a lot of people that are coming into churches today whose spirituality has shriveled up. And it's, it's shrunken and it's ceased to flourish. But we've become really good, like the man with the winter hand, of covering that part and only exposing the part that we want people to see. 
church people have become professionals at wearing masks. Because when you come to church, it appears that you come into a place where everybody's got it together and everybody's full of joy and everybody's happy. When in reality, you fought all the way here, you cussed at the dog, you kicked the chickens. I don't even know where that came from. I would never kick my chicken. I don't care how mad I get at you. Uh, you know what I mean? You did all that, but when you got to church, hello, brother. So glad to be here this morning. I woke up excited to be here. No, you didn't. You're lying. But this has become what church is about. So we just cover the withered hand and we expose the hand we like. And a lot of it's not out of, I don't want to even say it's all out of you don't want people to know what you're really like. But a lot of it's out of the fact you know that most of the time in church there's a lot more judging than investing. So if I show my withered hand, they're going to talk about my withered hand instead of investing into the fact that it's withered. Now, we're dealing with a spiritual idea here that, that this withered hand represents their spirituality and their faith. Some of you have come in here week after week and tried to look strong and tried to hold it together. But if you were willing to be open and honest, we would admit that my faith has just about disappeared. It's dwindled down to something. The heat of life has scorched it to the place it's begun to shrivel up. And I feel like I'm about to die spiritually, but I don't want to expose that because then I may look less than everyone else in the room. But the beautiful thing about family is that it creates a place where I'm willing to walk in and say, I'm about to die. I'm, I'm, I'm shriveling up. I'm withered because of life right now. And people not stand back and say, oh, my God, he's the pastor. He has to be perfect. He has to walk in spirituality all the time. No, even I, even Pastor Love, we get wore down. We're living the same life you're living. We're dealing with the same situations that you're dealing. Only difference is we have to deal with all y'all's too. Y'all aren't ready for that. So sometimes I get into a place just recently, actually. I was able, thank God for the community of, of men that he's put around me here at the church. I was willing to be able to step back and, and say, man, I'm not doing good. If you've ever been a youth pastor, you feel the struggle. It's tough, and you work, and you work, and you try, and you invest, and you give, and most of the time, you don't get no return. And I was just feeling that shriveling. I was feeling that shrinking up of my faith, and I was feeling like I had to come in here on Sunday mornings and hide that part of me and act strong in front of y'all because I'm in a position or, or whatever it may be, when in reality, I was just covering up my withered hand. And I wanted to be able to just run to someone and say, guys, I'm about to die. My faith feels like it's just disappeared. It's shriveled up. It's ceased to flourish. I'm not operating on the level that I used to operate in. But, but we so quickly, we tend to just cover it up. When in reality, what's my next one, Nisha? Make sure I'm still on track. No, that's not it. The church should be creating an environment where people can be comfortable enough to expose their withered hand. His desire for the church was that we become so one, so unified, that I can walk in and expose my withered hand and say, this is where I'm at. This is what's happening right now. This is what my life looks like. And instead of being judged by the religious leaders around me, it would be like in the church in the, church in the book of Acts 
who said, if that's where you're struggling right now, if that's where you're hurting right now, here, I have this to invest in it. If it's a financial need, here, let me bless you with this seed. If it's a spiritual need, here, let me pray with you. Let me text you every day with scriptures and and uplifting thoughts and, and things of this nature. Whatever that need may be. Sometimes the greatest investment we make is to sit down and give them our time and listen to what they're going through. But we don't do that. That's not normal. That's not, we're, we're a fast-paced, wide-open, let's go, let's do, when the greatest investment we can make into them is to just stop and say, I'm going to give you this time right now. I'm going to invest this time into you right now. The church has created a place that has no longer become comfortable. But what's awesome and what I want to tell you this morning is if you are struggling, don't hesitate. Reach out. Reach out to someone in this family. Why is it so important that we reach out to someone? Because the man's hand wasn't, hit, wasn't healed until he reached it out. It wasn't dealt with. It wasn't taken care of. It wasn't changed until he reached it out. Jesus says, stretch your hand out. and says, and then his hand was made as whole as the other one. But it has to be exposed. It has to be revealed. It has to be brought out. And a lot of times we become so quick to judge and say, well, if they would just tell us, if they would just expose it, if they would just reveal it. But no one's going to reveal it in an area that they don't feel comfortable in. And and, and I come up under some pretty religious mindsets, and it was all just, no, you pray hard, you preach hard, you go to church, you have a wild service, and you go to the house, and, and, and don't worry about all that, making them comfortable, and, and you know what I mean, all that. It wasn't about any of that. When in reality, Jesus says, no, that's exactly what it was about. He said, I created a family where they felt comfortable. You can't tell me they didn't feel comfortable if they were willing to come to someone and say, hey, I'm broke. <laughs> I need your help. You're not going to go to a stranger and say that. They had a whole body that was willing to be that open and that honest because they had created a culture where they felt loved, they felt comfortable, and they were willing to expose that withered hand. They were willing to let people know. So don't hesitate. My prayer is that this church will become a place where people can reach out. People cannot just have to sit through here on a Sunday morning, but they can reach out to a family in this church and say, I'm hurting, I'm withered, I'm drying up. That this become the culture that we live in. And what I love about this story is that Jesus wasn't even interested in his left hand. His left hand was fine. Jesus was there in that moment for his withered hand. That was his goal. You can't tell me Jesus didn't know way ahead of time that that man was going to be there and his hand was going to be withered. Jesus was there for that reason. Jesus didn't, didn't ask, let me see your good hand. No, he said, stretch out your right hand, the one that was messed up, the one that was hurting, the one that was withered. That's what he's here for, and that's what this body is here for. Yes, the good side of you is great, and we're thankful for it, but to be completely honest, we're interested in the the withered part because we want to see the fullness and the wholeness of Jesus Christ, everything that he paid for invested into every single life, and if we don't have a place that these can be exposed and talked about and dealt with. Jesus is here for the weak and dry part of you that's ceasing to flourish. There's certain areas in your life that you, that's how you feel. It's just not flourishing. My faith is just not, it's not rolling. I'm not, I'm not moving in that area. There, there's not that boldness. There's not that confidence. There's areas in my life that, 
It's just not doing good. And some of you maybe even been in the place today where you think, it's just disappeared. This is one of the definitions of it. It's just, it's, my faith has just disappeared. Like just a week or so ago, I felt like I was on top of the world and, and, and I could just, I could storm hell with a water pistol. And then today, I'm just, I'm doing good to even think about God. So we find ourselves in these places. The awesome thing is you don't have to feel like you've got to keep it all together. You don't have to play some role so that people don't know you're fading spiritually. Reach out. We are family. And if there's a need in this house, we want to invest in it like Jesus would. We want to find those situations, find those needs, find those areas. And we want them to be invested in. We start with the scriptures in Acts where it says there was not a needy person because people were willing to invest into the places of those around, into the, into the lives of those around him. That were, that were not flourishing. So they created a church where no one in that family, in that body, was needy for anything because everyone was willing to invest in everyone. So it's not the pastor's responsibility to make sure that everyone isn't in a need. It's everyone's responsibility to take care of everyone. That's the culture of the church. That's the culture of the kingdom. To find and invest in the areas of people's lives that normally we're tempted to hide. That we're willing to say, that's what we're here for. We're here for that area. We're here for that. Now my last thing, and, and, and this, I'm going to close out with this. For this culture that I'm talking about to be effective... There's three things that have to take place. These, things have, these three things have to become normal. And, I, and I, I'm sharing this with you today because this, this should become the culture of life church. This is, the, the, this is what we want to be known for. We want to create a family culture that operates like the church in Acts. There has to be a family culture created where people feel comfortable, safe, and most importantly, loved. That's our, that's our job. When people come here, of course, that has become the theme of anybody you talk to that visits here. It's always about, we just felt so loved. We felt so loved. That's great. We love that. Now we need to connect with people like that and make them feel comfortable, make them feel safe, make it feel like a family environment that they can be vulnerable in. Secondly, the person with a need has to be willing to reveal that need. If you're in here this morning and there is a need, there is a situation, you have to come to a place where you're willing to stretch it out. Because even though Jesus called him out, was willing to deal with the need, if he wouldn't have stretched his hand out, he was still left with a withered hand. So in many situations in churches, people leave with needs. And they're not leaving with needs because nobody was willing to invest in it. They're leaving with a need because they weren't willing to stretch it out, to expose it. And lastly, we have to be aware of those needs and understand that they are more important than our religious rhetoric or traditions. The church has to become more aware of what people need in our family. I know this is not a shout me down, run in the pews message like you are used to from Pastor Love. But I so felt in my spirit all week in prayer that there was people in this church who have been covering up and hiding a withered hand. Whether it's your spirituality or your faith is just in a place where it's just worn down. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't know if y'all know it, but in Luke chapter 17, that's after the apostles have seen miracle after miracle. They've been through all kinds of stuff. They find themselves in Luke chapter 17 praying, Jesus, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Sometimes life gets just so hot, it scorches that thing. And you just deal with stuff, and you become withered. And this is supposed to be the place where that need gets met, where that dry, earthy situation gets watered in a place like this. So I just knew throughout prayer that, that God was dealing with some people and, and, and wanting to encourage some people. So I'm here this morning mainly to encourage you and remind you that this is a family. That this is a family, and we're supposed to be here for one another for whatever the need may be. That no one has to do without, no one has to shrivel up and die spiritually. No one has to be alone, no one has to be separated. Those are all lies and tricks from the enemy. But we're a family. We're unified. The goal is to have, as the scripture said, all things in common. In other words, a whole, complete union. Unified.